Well, we're in the sixth week of a series we've titled Made for More, and I want to get into that in just a minute, but I, I guess maybe it's just I'm your pastor, I'm one of your pastors, I love you all and care for you, and I know in the midst of both the pandemic and especially in light of the election, uh, there's a lot of unrest, and uh, it's an interesting thing. I was thinking back to four years ago, and one set of my friends was grieving, and the others felt relief, and now in this season, I it's flipped. I have a set that feel grief and others relief, and there's this kind of confusion and disparity right now. And, and the reason I want to just simply address it at first is because I don't want us to get off track of what we're made for and who we're made for. And I just want to point out, maybe give an encouragement or a challenge, because in this political climate, we either feel despair or hope based on who's in and who's out oftentimes, and particularly where we are. And so I want to just give you a thought, and then we're going to jump in, hopefully a thought to move us directly into that we're made for more. And, and so I'm hoping this will be helpful, but Tim Keller some years ago wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, and in it, he looks at how politics itself can become an idol. Now, if you're not around the church, if you don't hear those kinds of words and you just think of some object that's in front of us, the way you simply think of an idol is something that commands our attention and kind of commands our hope. In fact, this is the way uh, Keller describes it. He says, one sign that an object is functioning as an idol is that fear becomes one of the chief characteristics of life. When this, we center our lives on the idol, we become dependent on it. If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. We do not say what a shame or how difficult, but rather this is the end and there is no hope. He goes on then to describe very specifically how this can happen in America and our political kind of perspectives. He says this may be the reason why so many people now respond to U.S. political trends in such an extreme way. When either party wins an election, a certain percentage of the losing side talks openly about leaving the country. They become agitated and fearful for the future. And then he makes this kind of powerful defining statement. They have put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that once was reserved for God and the work of the gospel. They have put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that once was reserved for the God, for our God and the work of the gospel. When their political leaders are out of power, they experience a death. They believe that their policies and people are not in power. Everything will fall apart. They refuse to admit how much agreement they actually have with the other party. And instead, they focus on points of disagreement and points of contention, overshadow everything else, and a poisonous environment is created. Now, I, I wanted to simply point this out and have us consider it moving into made for more, in part because I don't want us to get confused on what we're made for for. The other is I continue to hear about and see in this kind of political climate, families at odds, parents and children, grandparents and grandchildren, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, extended family, that we have gotten to this poisonous place that we have substituted our hope in political leaders and policies for what was once reserved for God and the work of the gospel. Now, I say that to you because where we're going is very simply that you're made for more. We're going to look at God and the work of the gospel, and I just am hoping you can kind of set aside those things that seem to be overwhelming us right now. 
I think, wrongly. And so where we want to go today is to find out how you're made for more. We've been in this unique series, this kind of exciting place that we're realizing, listen, we are made for more. We center ourselves around the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We are people that respond to the work he has done and the power it brings now and the new life we have in him. We're awakened, in a sense, to a new way of life, a new kind of mission. And that's where we're headed today. That's where we've been headed in this entire series. And one of my prayers for all of you is we will continue to be fixed more and more on him and more and more on the church as the people of God and begin more and more to set aside or at least let lower those things we've held up alongside of him, that we're never meant for that. So with that in mind, we continue to look and how Paul, this early church leader, is describing to us what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it looks like to be his people. In case you don't know, Paul is one who's had a major life transformation, kind of gone from terrorist to champion. He has now lived in this place as he's kind of traveled along with was Asia Minor at the time and helped people discover the resurrection of Jesus and what it means. And churches, people of God, begin to move around together. And he's left this place, but the people he's been with the most, he's in prison in Rome, he writes a letter. He goes, I want to remind you that you're made for more. Don't let these other things attach to you. Let me fix you. Let me help you to see what God's made you for. He continues in this section of the letter. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light. You are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now, Paul uses this metaphor of light. He's going to use light and darkness. He's going to show us this. I love these descriptors, goodness, righteousness, and truth. They're not things we typically say to each other. You don't walk to us and go, you know, you are full of goodness and righteousness and truth. Yet there's a power in these words and what they mean and what he's saying. Wow, did that get bigger? Did I do that? Did I do that? Man, that was just weird. Sorry. Did I do that? It's funny the things that come to mind when you're really messed up, isn't it? That was not goodness. I, I just want you to get a picture of these. So goodness uh, is literally means active, active goodness. It means goodness towards others. You might even use the word benevolence or kindness. I want you to just get the picture. It's others focused. Hey, you're light. You know what children in light do? They're focused on active kindness to others. You want to know what else they do? The fruit of it is what he's saying. It's a result of it. It's not they just do it. Righteousness, Jesus describes, he says, when you do your righteous acts, when you live in righteousness, do them and don't let anyone else see what it is. In other words, help those in need. That's what righteousness is. It's helping the poor. It's helping the forgotten. They call it almsgiving now, but it literally meant your righteous acts. It's this picture of people, again, doing for others. Out of the light, out of what Christ has done in our lives, fruit of that will bring about people that want to do good and help others. And truth, I love this, isn't simply mean a thought about truth. It's a truth that matches how you walk and how you talk. In essence, what Paul is giving a picture of is you were changed. Jesus did something through his life and death and resurrection. And what he did through this is unbelievable, transformational, that this is the fruit of it. And he then compares it to what it was like before. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret. Now, Paul mentioned it earlier 
In the passage, he talks about things inside, this lust inside of us to have more, everything from greed and idolatry to sexual immorality. He talks about the conduct that comes out of our mouths and what we say, kind of what flows out of the heart, spews out of the mouth. He gives this picture of those darkness things. And then he says, but everything exposed to the light becomes visible and everything that's illuminated becomes light. For Paul, he's giving us a picture, a picture of each one of you that when through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, you become children of light. That something changes, that darkness moves to light. And it's not simply a positional thought, like something we intellectually think. It's a transforming power that's to happen in us. In fact, if you're with us today, whether online or in person here, Maybe you're asking questions. What do I think about Jesus? What does this mean? And we hope you'll continue to journey with us. Maybe even today, Jesus would reveal himself to you. That's what we believe. There's a revelation that happens. But here's what you can know. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we know Jesus walked the earth. He's a historical person. We know that he lived and he died. And we believe firmly he actually rose again and have lots of wonderful evidence, both historically and in our own lives, to show that that, that transformation, that resurrection, brings forgiveness to us. Not just forgiveness from the darkness, but transforming light to change us. And I want to say to you today, if you're in a place of just discovering, boy, just ask God, are you real? Show yourself to me. And we want to keep walking with you, whether it's today or in a week or three weeks. We believe Jesus will reveal himself. And there'll be little pictures along the way, little experiences of that. I love watching that over and over again with my friends who are searching. Just a moment after moment, something happens that that little bit of light breaks through. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, I don't want you to think this is just kind of a simple thing. Well, you get, you get freed from forgiveness and suddenly everything's light. I love what he says here. Expose the darkness to light. This is something John tells us too. It's very simply this, that when we have darkness in us, what we have to do is let those things out, not hide them and protect them. Both things done to us and things we do, both in the mind and in the heart and things we act on, those darknesses we want to bring to light. I want you to think of the darkness and think of things like bacteria that grow in darkness. We know that things that are most deadly and dangerous often grow in darkness. And guess what happens when they're exposed to light? It takes them out. It eliminates them. You see, Paul's not only telling us to stay away, he's saying, listen, expose your life to light. Don't hide things. This children of light and being people of darkness, when you follow Jesus, you start letting in the light everywhere. That's how things like fruit happen of goodness and righteousness and truthfulness. Because when Jesus changes us to people of light, we actually live out the way he calls us to. That's what Paul's telling you. You're made for more. This is not like you kind of attend church once in a while in a service and you read your Bible and the more you read it, the better. But boy, when you get to heaven, it'll be better. But right now, life's gonna be just a mess. And you go, no, no, God has so much more for you than this. He's made you for so much more than this. And Paul is so convinced of how important this is He's about to give them a huge encouragement and challenge, and he's going to cite something that will appear like, oh, I wonder if that's in the Bible. It's not, but in that day and age, it must have been some common hymn, something understood by the early church. 
So we're kind of jumping back into their culture to hear something that they said, they sang, they spoke regularly to remind them they're children of light, not darkness. They're made for more. And he says it this way. He says, this is why it said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. He's telling them, you know what, even though you're children of light, you don't get it, and maybe you don't even live into it. You're just kind of asleep in it. You're not really realizing what it's like. I I wonder how many of us like the way that we're woken up in the morning. How many of us don't like to be woken up? It's funny, but when I think about it, this isn't a current sound, but the one sound I always associate with waking up is this. Now, there's a reason I keep doing this. It's because that's what I listen to, in particular as a parent, from another room in my house for a very long time. The bedrooms of our children were downstairs and mine was upstairs. Do you know how long it takes to walk down there when that's going on? Do you have any idea how annoying that is to listen to, that you're being woken up because someone else isn't getting up? Do you want to know that I did not shine light when I got downstairs at all? I won't tell you which of my children's sound that was, but they were having a difficult time waking up and in turn, I helped them. In fact, to this day, it's very sad. This is one of my parenting failures, but every one of my kids, if you ever ask them, would, would you like when your dad wakes you up? They would all say, no. In fact, we're in therapy for it. It's just traumatizing. <laughs> mom, mom loves us. Dad is just, something's wrong with him. I don't know what happened. Something broke, but he doesn't like to wake us up. Now, I'm not trying to take it that far, but I want you to understand it's even a true principle physically that we have something called sleeping inertia that makes it difficult to wake up. And what I want you to realize is Paul is saying this to them, not like, oh, it's an idea. Oh, yeah, you should wake up. He's saying, wake up. Pay attention. Man, you've got so much in front of you of who you're made to be and who you are, and you just aren't realizing it. You're almost lulled to sleep in it. That's a nice idea. I think I'll just stand back here comfortably. And Paul's challenging us, man, wake up. Wake up, there's so much more out in front of you. I wanna be really clear, I'm calling you today to wake up. I'm calling you today with Paul to move in a direction maybe you haven't before or haven't realized before just how significant it is. It's been odd in the time we're living in because in many ways, many of us think that we're actually kind of hampered to live out our faith because we're more isolated. This is a chessboard um, that I picked up when we were traveling in Russia as a family. I absolutely love it. I love the craftsmanship of it. I look at it. I don't actually play chess very often. So if you want something you can beat me at, come for it. You'll probably be able to. I will. I got an I will already. I'd like to win. You're just a sad person. My dad used to play this with me, and I think he just did it to watch me lose and enjoy. But it was interesting. I was with a mentor just recently, and he talked about how he loves to play chess and grew up playing it. And he made this statement. We were actually in a group together, and he made this statement about how when you first play chess, guess what everybody always focuses on? The queen. 
I know the object is to get to the king, but they focused on the queen because she is the most powerful player on the board. And he said, it's the mistake every early player makes. He said, you know how you get better at the game of chess? You practice with the queen off the table. But then he said something to me that was very profound and I had just not considered. He said, you know, right now in the life of the church, all over our country and all over the world, but especially here, we treat Sunday morning like it's the queen. And yet the amazing difficulty right now is the queen's off the table. I mean, we're together and we find ways to gather, but the centrality of it does not feel that way or experience that way. But he said it in a great way, the queen's off the table. That's good. Because guess what? When the queen's off the table, you learn the rest of who you are. As the church, we have settled for the queen. We've settled for the idea that church is Sunday morning, but you are made for so much more. Man, I want you to wake up and pay attention. You're children of light. It's not about the queen. It's not about this big power player. It's about the day-to-day life we leave as pawns, as rooks. In every move we make, that's powerful and profound. And the same way we as a church need to step back and go, oh, we love and can't wait till we can gather together again. But we want to gather in a new way where the queen is no longer Sunday, but how you live and how we live moment by moment and day by day as children of light. That's how God's going to move in us. I want you to hear what Paul goes on to say because I think he illustrates this and kind of elevates it. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise as wise. Now, just to be clear, he's not saying be cautious, which is how that sometimes sounds. Being careful literally means to have an attentive eye. In more, it would sound like pay attention. Awake and pay attention. Wake up and pay attention. Wake up and pay attention. I feel like I'm in Sister Act 2. You got to wake up and pay attention. That movie's coming back around. I've been seeing it online a bunch, so I... That's where I went, sorry. But that's what he's saying. Wake up, pay attention. Wake up, pay attention. You know what? You're children of light. You don't even see that you're made for more. You're settling for this idea of churches limited to just coming on a Sunday. And now that we're under this, it's not even doing that. Maybe that isn't even doing that much. You know what? It's so much more. Wake up and pay attention. And then he says these profound words, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Don't be foolish. But understand what God's will is. In other words, day-to-day life, every opportunity is where the profundity is. It's where life really is. That translates every opportunity. There are two words in the language, in the Greek language, for time. The first word is chronos, and it just means time. Like after time, after chronos had gone by, or this day is chronos, just means time. There's another word called kairos, which literally means appointed time or anointed time, special time. The word he's using here is special time. Make the most of every Kairos moment. And by the way, did you know there's a lot of Kairos moments in your life? What he's saying is wake up, pay attention. You're children of light. Do you know everywhere you walk and everything you do There's a potential for a Kairos moment. It's not about the big event and the queen and all the power it is. It's about the pawn making one move. And in that move, in that location, at that time, God's going to do something. Wake up. Pay attention. 
Last week, we talked about how you are servants on mission. We called you missionaries. And the simple way that Paul is describing this is, guess what? Not only are you missionaries, you have mission fields no one else can go to. Do you realize if we thought church was just coming together to a site or coming together to gather the troops, the, the, the missional people on a day, whether it's Sunday or another, we would miss out on the fact that God's called us to go places no one else could go. I want you just to consider this for a minute because every time that God could move profoundly means everywhere you go and think about where you go in a week. Do this online as well and just think of it this way. Where am I going regularly? And, and think of some of the locations. If you're online, go ahead and write some of those in the chat. Maybe you regularly go to a coffee shop. Maybe you regularly go to this place for your work. Maybe you frequently have an activity you do. Maybe you're going for treatment for a condition. Maybe you fill in the blank. You have things you do regularly. Can you believe that God has made you a child of light, that where you go is your field, your literal mission field, a place of kairos that no one else can go and no one else can reach? I love it. One wonderful church leader always says that God's bringing the gospel to every nook and cranny of our whole community, and guess who it's through? You. You go where no one else can go. You live where no one else lives. Paul's saying, man, make the most of this. No one else goes where you go. Do you know the gas station you go to? You begin to know people when you go there regularly. Do you know the bank you go to? You begin to know the people that you go to regularly. Do you know when you go to your kids' activities and you sit in the stands, you sit with people that no one else is sitting with? Do you know in the cubicle you're in next to the person with you? No one else is sitting in that. Do you know the classroom that you teach or the classroom that you attend? No one else is walking in that as a child of light. You go places, no one else goes. Paul's saying, wake up and pay attention. You're called to fields no one else could be called to. I love it. I, I've been learning about different places people are going. One man I got to know shared a story about how he regularly went to a very specific uh, bar and during, he got to the place where he'd go at the same time every week and he decided to, to start opening the Bible when he was there. He started a thing called Beer and Bible. That was his field. Just sitting there, he began to reach people. No one's reaching. I have friends who are gamers. They sit online and talk to people and just love and care for them. You know that they're bringing the light to this place no one else can bring. We have a woman in our church who went through extensive chemotherapy and she began to share stories with me about how she just, as she's sitting there getting treatment because you're there for a while, she just began to ask the people around them what their struggles and needs were and just started praying for them. And she's now not only through treatment, she went through a miraculous healing, but guess what she does? She goes back now because she's going to a place no one can go doing things no one can do. Come on, isn't that amazing? I mean, God has you go in places no one else will go. No one else would understand. And those of you who are here, those watching online, you go, you know what, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't like to go a lot of places with a lot of people. This isn't violating that. What it's saying is, as an introvert, who has God called you to be in relationship with? You, maybe it'll be less people, it'll be more deep. Maybe you have one friend you walk together with. Maybe you walk your dogs together. Maybe you run into people on the beach that just become longer friends. Whatever it is in the way God's made you, you are a child of light. Wake up. Pay attention. Guess what? 
God's put you to be places no one else can be, to do things no one else can do as you listen and are led by him to love people in ways that ultimately reflect who he is. And as that light shines, you have fields no one else could go to. Man, we are not about simply trying to get people here to, to get them to the queen, to get them to this table here. We're saying that you're gonna go places no one else can go to do things no one else can do. It's been an interesting wrestle for us. We've even talked about this. We wanna shift from more, more programs to more mission fields. That's what we're saying today. And I'll tell you, this has been one of the, both the goods and the bads of being here a long time. We have historically had a lot of great what we call outreach programs, things that we do to help and attract people that are far from God to serve them and hopefully ultimately help them discover him. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but just even before this pandemic hit, we were beginning to wrestle. And so we said, let's pull the programs away and just ask, are we personally living out, reaching out to people? And the temperature went way down because what we'd been doing is substituting programs for actually living it. And we started to say around here to each other, we gotta live it before we lead it. We need to live this out. And in the same way, we wanna have programming things that help, but guess what? It is much more significant that you become people that step out into the world around you to do things no one can do, to reach people in ways no one can, to be children of light. We wanna move from more programs to more mission fields. Man, we want you to wake up and pay attention. We would say it this way. Wake up to the people and the places that you can be present. Wake up to the people and the places that you can be present. You know, I started thinking about this and even praying about it for you. I gave the picture already of someone in treatment saying this is a place God's put me. It's funny, I went to uh, see my own doctor just for a checkup recently and he is a follower of Jesus and prayed for me at the end of our time. In all the years I've ever been a patient in anything, I've never had quite this experience, but I realized, man, he's living as a child of light. Now he knows I'm, he's preaching to the choir, I'm, I'm bought in. But I was so affected by a doctor who would say in my life, I want to live out the light of who I am. Like I said, there's many of you. Think about your schools. Think about where you shop. Think about the people that come <laughs> even just to deliver things for you. Think about the things you're already doing and what would happen if you realize that's a mission field. The cubicles and the break rooms, the gas stations, the banks, the activities, the places you go to the beach, the places you walk trails, the neighborhoods where you live the family that you're a part of. Every one of those, God has put you there. He said, that's your mission field. Wake up, pay attention. Wake up to the people and the places that you can be present. I don't know what's gonna go on with the pandemic. I don't know how much longer we'll be living in kind of a weird place. I know eventually there'll be some normality. I pray that out of it, we live in a different way, not just back to where we were. That we start to learn to play the rest of the chessboard and not just the queen on the table. That we start to realize the investments in you. And make no mistake, a pandemic can't keep you from being on a mission field. One of, one of my friends that I'm caring for and reaching out to just, I checked in and they have COVID and 
I thought, what's a way that I can just care for them right now and just send them a DoorDash meal? One simple thing to go, man, I care about you. How can I be helpful and loving to you in this? I'm telling you, there's nothing that can stop us be the people on mission that God wants us to be or getting to the fields we need to get to. What would it be like for you just to ask your neighbors how they're doing? Just check in. Hey, anything I can be praying for you? Anything that's hard right now? I am amazed how just as we step out, God gives us a place and a position for how we reach people. How we are his light to a world in need. And tell me that's not an incredible strategy. Oh, I didn't make it so people would just go to a building and that would kind of be, if people come to the building, maybe they'll find out who I am if they get in the room and all that happens. No, no, no. I have people that come together that are then sent out and deployed to every nook and cranny of every community to help people in need. They want to know where Jesus is. He's wherever you go. But you've got to wake up. You've got to pay attention. You've got to become children of light, exposing the darkness in your own life and asking God to transform it to continue to grow you as people of goodness and righteousness and truth. And he's gonna give you kairos moments like you've never imagined. I just wanna pray for us. Kind of ask God to bless what he wants to do in each of you. And we wanna continue to ask you to share your stories with us, how God's moving, because we're built up as we discover this. If you even go to allshores.org slash made for more, you can sign up, it's just in a commitment, I'm gonna live this way. And we want to keep it connecting on how God's leading and transforming you and how he's helping you to walk into these new fields. We want to hear about where you're going. And let me give you even one final thing. Your circumstances will very much often give you a new field. It's interesting, Paul in one of the beginnings of his letters writes that may the God of all comfort comfort you that you may comfort others. And it's the idea that when he ministers to you, eventually you may have that same ministry. People who've been through loss minister to people who've been through loss. It's a new field. Circumstances, you have a field and you have a blended family. You are a widower. You're single. All sorts of circumstances bring fields for you. And wake up. Pay attention. Let me pray for us. Lord, I ask for each person here, each person online. Oh God, let them hear how they are, see how they are your children of light. Oh God, in their inner world and inner life, help them to be courageous enough to let the darkness exposed. God, help them build new patterns. I pray someone among us, some among us might even establish something like a weekly dinner they invite people into that are, they're just meeting. I pray others will find new places to minister in places they already go or places they'll begin to go with groups they'll begin to build. God, we don't know what it is, but would you show your body their fields? Would you show them their kairos moments and places? And God, would you send us out not to look for Sunday to be our place of all, but to be our fueling station to go out and be your children of light. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen.